Book Two Crash and Burn Apollo's palace shone like fire. Python had never seen anything quite like it, apart from the sun, I guess. He could see his father a mile off inside the palace, but he couldn't get too close for fear of being blinded by the light. Apollo was sitting in his throne, draped in a purple cloak and surrounded by all the hours and seasons, which must have been quite the sight. He eventually stopped chatting to notice trembling Python, yawned and said, what do you want? Um, Python had never seen a god before, let alone a bunch of them. He was also getting very sweaty, which was probably because he was standing so near to the sun. Um, it seems a bit silly now, um, but my mum says you're my dad and my mate laughed at me, so I thought I'd just come and check. Of course you're my son, Python. Apollo shrugged off his sunlight like a cloak so he could embrace him. As proof, ask me anything you'd like and I'll grant it. You'd have thought he'd know better, wouldn't you, really? Well, I wouldn't mind having a go on your chariot, Python said. <laughs> Not a chance, Apollo laughed. You're far too mortal, son of mine or not. Might as well cast you to Hades now. Of course, as a son of Apollo, Python did not give in so easily. He begged and he pleaded and he made himself so unbelievably annoying that Apollo finally gave in. All right, all right, God, if only to keep you quiet. But I guess this makes me a fun dad, right? I can be fun. But you've got to do exactly as I say. Apollo led his son to the golden chariot and in the distance the stars had begun to set and dawn was yawning. Apollo, though he knew that a great grief was coming, his gift of prophecy clearly was working today, he began to rub Python's skin with a special ointment to allow him to endure the flames from the sun he would carry along the sky. Like a kind of super divine sun cream, I guess. Factor like five billion, maybe? Now, Apollo continued, don't try to show off. Follow the middle path and let the horses run at their own speed. They know where to go. Too high and you'll set heaven on fire and too low and you'll burn the earth. And the left and the right, there's a couple of monsters, but you'll be fine, you'll be fine. It was great knowing you, anyway. And so he slapped Python on the back and off he went. We all know it went terribly. The horses felt the chariot was too light and it freaked them. So off the beaten track they went. Imagine, you know, like falling off Rainbow Road in Mario Kart. I mean, that's what I'm thinking anyway. Python didn't stand a chance. He saw Earth swing dizzyingly close into view. He clutched onto the chariot with all his might, but he thought he might be sick. The monsters of the Zodiac loomed in on either side, scorpions and crabs, and he panicked. It struck him that he didn't even know the horses' names. He dropped the reins. The horses went mental, dashing here and there and everywhere into the stars. The moon watched in horror and the earth caught on fire. It was about as dreadful as you can imagine. The ground cracked open and light even shone into the depths of Tartarus. Hades had to put on his sunglasses. 
The heat was too much for even Neptune to put out. Gaia, goddess of the earth, tossed her scorched hair over her shoulders and begged Jupiter for help. With no other choice, Jupiter launched a thunderbolt at Python and the chariot. The horses broke free, wheels and reins flew all over the place, and Python himself was flung headlong, trailing flames from his hair like a comet. Python was buried, and his sisters and mother mourned him. For some reason, his sisters turned into trees while they grieved around him, and as the old saying goes, cry too much and you'll become a twig? Anyway, to add to all the strange genetics in that family... Cygnus, a relative of Python, saw this madness, and when he mourned, he became a swan. Apollo, meanwhile, was grieving and had become an eclipse. Sod this. I never wanted the job in the first place. It's exhausting. Let Jupiter try instead. He can't keep killing people's kids left, right and centre just because they struggle to control a couple of horses. Everyone begged Apollo to stop sulking, and even Jupiter apologised, so he went off, horses in tow, and took his tantrum elsewhere. Jupiter, by the way, figured he ought to go and tidy things up after the scorching, but of course he was only part way round the earth when he got entirely distracted by a virginal, disinterested, independent girl. Just his type. Her name was Callisto, and when she was napping, Jupiter crept up to her in the guise of Diana. I should note she was one of Diana's fave warriors, though a favourite never stays a favourite for long. When Callisto woke to find a not-so-subtle Diana peering over her, she was delighted and said, Shit, you're more gorgeous than Jupiter himself. Naturally, Jupiter was charmed at being compared to himself, and he had her on the spot. It just so happened that moments after this, the real Diana appeared and cheerfully encouraged Callisto to join her band of merry archers. After the encounter she had just endured, Callisto was naturally a bit apprehensive at first. Diana and her virginal maidens all took a bath in a beautiful grove nearby and it took some coaxing for Callisto to remove her clothes. When she eventually did, the marks on her skin made it clear what Jupiter had done. Diana looked at her sadly. I'm sorry, hun, but I just can't allow you to stay. You know I'm a stickler for these things. Callisto's luck was only worsening because, of course, Juno found out. Callisto had had a child by Jupiter, Arcas, and Juno was so enraged that Callisto could not control her own biology, as she herself was already furious that she could not control her husband, that she transformed her into a bear. Arcas, the son, was actually a teenager. Time just flies when you're in a divine rage. And he had lost track of his mum, and when he saw this great bear staggering towards him, he thought it might make a fabulous dinner. Luckily, Jupiter was having another one of his guilt trips, and he removed both mother and son before too much damage could be done, and made them immortal in the stars. How sweet. However, 
Juno still wasn't happy, are we surprised? She marched down to Oceanus, who she thought might understand, and she raged around the sea until the water gods supposed they ought to ask her what was wrong. What? Me? Anything the matter? No, 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 not at all, nothing, not another time I've been upstaged by my husband studying mortal concubines. Oceanus and Tethys, who was there too, winced and regretted having asked. No, no, I'm fine, totally fine, fine, fine. Juno continued in a not fine way. He's only gone and put them in the bloody stars, so I'll have to look at them every fucking night when I go to bed. The gods stared at her. Juno stared back. Well, do something! Then off she went, riding on her peacocks that had only recently got their lovely pattern from Argus's eyes, if you remember from the first book. Actually, on birds, around this time, there was a raven, which was white in this story, because ravens were white before this, apparently, let's just go with it, who was sacred to Apollo. The raven noticed Coronis, the latest in Apollo's string of ladies, sleeping with someone else. As the raven ran off to tell Apollo, a crow saw it and flew in to intercept. Oh, don't do that, the crow told the raven. I was Athena's fave bird until I snitched to her, and now I don't get to work for her anymore. I wasn't always a bird either. No, 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 no. Athena saved me and made me a crow because Neptune tried to sleep with me. I have more stories about birds too, you know, us bird people, I mean. Have you heard about Nyctomene? Oh my God, will you piss off? The raven went off to tell Apollo about Coronis anyway. Apollo got a bit mad, shot Coronis, turned out she was pregnant and blamed the bird for everything. He even tried to go against fate and bring Coronis back to life with his healing skills, but she was called Coronis and not Lazarus for a reason. So, anyway... Apollo gave her a nice proper burial and managed to snatch the baby out of her somehow and took him to Chiron, the hero training centaur, to look after. He sent the raven packing at this time too and turned it black. There's no wonder Chiron was so fed up in Disney's Hercules, by the way, because he was just enjoying the privilege of looking after the son of a god when his own daughter, Osiro came over and started spouting prophecies so she could do this as well by the way as like as well as like other more average medical things you know like the odd stitches here and there the odd prophecy anyway i'm getting off track so yes she started banging on about the child being reborn etc etc which wasn't so bad but then she went on to tell her dad that he'd endure a long painful death by poison which he wasn't you know best chuffed about all right, that's enough now, Kieron said. But Osiro couldn't shut up. She started narrating her own fate and all of a sudden she turned into a horse. I believe her last words were, but I don't get it, I'm only quarter horse. Kieron asked for Apollo's help, but he had already left. Mercury, who was bored, decided to steal Apollo's castle for a laugh. The only person who noticed was this old man called Battus, who no one really liked anyway. And when he sold Mercury out to himself in disguise, Mercury turned him into a stone. So, yeah, um, Mercury flew off, pleased with his full day of piss-taking. 
but he noticed a girl along the way called Hersey, who must have been the most gorgeous girl at the Festival of Athena happening that day. He whizzed right down there, making sure he looked even more perfect than usual, and he stood ready and godlike in Hersey's house, waiting for her to notice him. But Hersey wasn't home. There was just her sister, Agalurus. Behold, it is I, Mercury, here to shag your snack of a sister. He threw his arms out at Agalurus, who wasn't impressed. Where is she, anyway? Fuck off, Agalurus replied and shoved him out of the door. When Mercury tried to scrabble back in, she demanded he return with gold. Athena saw this and didn't much like it. She went to visit Envy, who was busy eating a snake. Even Athena found this quite repulsive. Deal with Agalorus for me, will you? She said, and left before Envy could even wipe her mouth. Off Envy went, trampling flowers in her wake to Athens, where she dipped her fingers in malice and draped them over Agalorus, setting the potential glory Hersey and Mercury might have as a means to stir jealousy. She was almost driven mad with it and decided all she could do was wait by the door and stop Mercury from entering ever again. Of course, that was hardly going to work. So when she said, I will never move from this spot, he took her at her word and turned her into a stone. Seems he only has like one party trick, doesn't he? Moments later, Jupiter called Mercury. Yo, kid. Do me a favour. Move those cows to the sea, will you? He pointed vaguely to Tyre. You like cows? Mercury did as he was told. Relieved his dad hadn't yelled at him for turning mortals into pebbles, and Jupiter was relieved his son hadn't questioned his motives. You see, there was a lovely princess of Tyre called Europa. Jupiter wanted her, but... He'd already learned not to admit this anywhere Juno might hear, which was everywhere. So naturally, he turned himself into a brilliant white bull and mingled with the other cows. He made a point of trotting after Europa, who found the stalking by a bull a little odd at first, but clearly she got used to it because for some insane reason she decided to climb on his back. She was evidently a bit unhinged and this was all Jupiter needed because no sooner had she done so than he waded out into the sea way further than a human could ever swim and there was certainly no going back then.